A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I will let my children go. Absolutely not if I felt that they weren't safe. Businesses are suffering all over this. Surely an energy director has to look at these price rises and say, are these justified? You take the kids, we'll take the bags. The kindness in her words, you know, I felt the tears flow. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. We're being told and told and you're being given plenty notice about Coburg Street. This time tomorrow, Coburg Street will be closed. Except to local traffic that needs to get in and out for the obvious reasons. And we've given plenty notice and we're told it'll be fantastic when it's done. I drove up there over the weekend just to see and you can see where they're putting in two more pavements that are the size of small football pitches and more bus stops and there'll be eventually just one very narrow lane for traffic motorised traffic that is Um, so I I don't know how well or how badly it's going to go tomorrow but I'm just looking at the echo this morning they have a story that says that the average Cork motorist how they calculated this I've no idea but the average Cork motorist lost 68 hours of their lives that they're never getting back in traffic last year due to delays around the city. And Cork is, there is a, I didn't know there was a chart for congested cities. Cork is the 71st most congested city in the world and the third most congested in Ireland. Well, obviously Dublin's the first. You mean there's somewhere worse than us in Ireland other than Dublin? That's interesting. London is the most congested city in the world. Um, Limerick is the second most congested in, in, in Ireland. I just wonder how it's going to work out, though, tomorrow morning. Good morning to you, Monday. Monday. Heading into a short week, for me anyway, and heading into the first new public holiday of 2023. St. Bridges Day is Wednesday, and then we get the public holiday, bank holiday for St. Bridget on next Monday. And that's it forever now. That's forever now. So St. Bridget's Day will fall when it falls and then the Monday after St. Bridget's Day, or if it happens to fall on the Monday itself, that'll be a holiday. How nice is that? 0818 96 96 96, the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 and your email is opinion at 96 of 
E. I want to go straight to New Zealand because there has been devastating midsummer floods there. Like you expect things like this to happen in winter. Remember our bad flood, the last really bad flood we had here was 2009. It was November of 2009. You, you expect floods to happen that time of the year. You don't expect devastating floods in high summer. And the city of Auckland has... Just have a look. Have a look at the video and the pictures online and the TikToks and Instagrams of, of what's happening in, in Auckland. It's horrific. Really, really horrific. And sadly, there's a number of people dead. I want to go there because Cathy O'Sullivan, known online and known to her friends as Cathy Koo, Cathy has lived there now uh, for nearly 17 years, originally from Carrigline, she's a journalist, and Cathy's living in uh, New Zealand now for nearly 17 years, and she joins me from Auckland. The, the worst you've ever seen, Cathy, you never seen anything like it. Good morning. Good morning, um, PJ. No, never seen anything like this uh, in 17 years. Actually, never saw anything like this in my entire life. It was phenomenal. So it started about Friday evening, our time. We had some rain during the day, and then it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I couldn't see out the window. And I knew it was bad in the west of the city. I could see on the news there was um, images of people you know, swimming out of their houses, but it hadn't hit our part of the city as bad at that point. And then it came just thundering down here. It was just, yeah, like nothing I've ever seen before. It's honestly like we've been hit by a tsunami or an earthquake. You know, you you never think water could do so much damage, but um, walking around, you know, even today with my dogs, when I took them for a walk around the place, just saw, you know, the local neighborhood tennis court and it's just smashed it's just covered in trees that have just fallen down from a cliff face above it Mm. you know another area where i take um the dogs for a walk just you know boats um up on rocks you know people's houses just you know just smashed glass you see sofas on the sides of the roads everywhere because people's belongings are just out in the streets just skips everywhere now just lives destroyed basically what about your own house did you have any damage uh we were quite lucky so our house is up on a hill so in terms of inside the house we had no flooding which i'm so thankful for because so many of my friends have had the insides of their houses destroyed um but um we have had a pretty major um slip or a mudslide um down the back of the property so um that's been quite worrying because it's coming quite close to the house yes and um, so i've been keeping keeping a close eye on that over the last um last day and we've got some more um heavy rain coming tomorrow so yeah a, a worrying couple of days ahead w- watching that it's supposed to be summer in new zealand <laughs> well i guess you know all over the world you know the you know you're seeing that what you think is summer or autumn or winter is not quite summer or autumn or winter anymore. So, yeah, it's it, usually this time of year, you know, we'd be at the beach sunbathing or out in the water and um, enjoying the sunshine. But right now, just, you know, you need your wellies and, and your umbrella everywhere you go at the moment here. I see there's a humanitarian effort, community effort getting together as well. Food being gathered and bedding and clothing and things. Yeah, well, you know, so many people have been, you know, 
have just literally overnight found themselves with nothing because a river has come through their house. So all of their clothing, all of their beds, you know, everything that you'd have in your kitchen is just destroyed. You're not meant to touch it if flood water has come through because it could be contaminated. So, um, yeah, local communities around the place are just asking um, for people to go and, and get, you know, bread or cereal or fruit and veggies just for mm. to make up food parcels for um, for people that have nothing. And what kind of community supports are there in the New Zealand system for people at a time like this? Oh, there's a variety of supports. So there's the Ministry of Social Development that can provide um, cash payments for people who urgently need things like it might be car repairs or um, to pay their rent or, for, you know, um, just to get themselves sorted, and then there's you know community efforts as well. Hmm. Um, so there are there are a, vari- a variety of support, but you know it's kind of harder for some community groups, especially if English isn't their first language. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of um, efforts being made to to reach people that might not know what support is available. We we forget yes, New Zealand is a mostly English speaking country, but. Just like any other country in the world, there are diverse populations there. Absolutely. I think it's like one in four um, people here in Auckland have not been born in New Zealand. I mean, myself, I'm not born here in New Zealand. Obviously, English is the first language for me. Um, But there are like lots of people from from different parts of the world who, who... yeah, would struggle with the language. Reach, reaching out to them is is really important. Sadly, I see three people dead and one still missing in Auckland. Well, they found the um, um, body of the last person oh. who was missing, so there's now four dead. So, yes, um, good, good for his family that they did find his body in the end. But, yeah, now up to four deaths. And, yeah. look, it's really sad, but to be honest, I'm really surprised there's not more people dead. Like, if you saw the torrents of water that were here. Yeah. Um, it's just phenomenal that, you know, thankfully only four people and tragically lost their lives. What are the weather forecasters oh. saying? Is the worst over now? Um, they're saying the worst is over. So we had something like uh, uh, three months of rain or a whole summer's worth of rain basically in a few hours on right. Friday. Wow. Um, but there is more to come. So we've got a red warning watch, a red warning level for tomorrow night here in Auckland, which is one of the highest levels. Um, so it's not meant to be as bad as Friday, but, you know, mm. when the ground is already so sodden, you know, there will be a lot of nervous people yeah. um, whose, whose um, properties have already been hit by slips. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, have you concerns yourself, Cathy, with that mudslide out the back? Um, I am keeping a close eye on it. I mean, I didn't really sleep much on Friday night or Saturday night because I was just a bit worried about it um, progressing further. But our foundations go pretty deep, so um, we should be okay. But it's, yeah, it's it's not nice to see all the plants that you've put in just falling away. (laughs) I know your partner was caught in the airport for hours is he back with you, or yeah. is he gone to Vancouver? Where where is he headed? Yeah, so uh, he got, he thankfully got off to Canada um, last night. But yeah, he spent um, sixteen hours at the airport. Uh, he was meant to be flying out on Friday night, but like thousands of other people, 
um, he ended up staying at the airport for the night and some other unfortunate people um, actually spent uh, two or three nights at the airport <laughs> trying to get a flight. Um, but the whole of the airport was flooded. The whole of the ground floor was just like a swimming pool. So um, they had to close close the airport and they couldn't let anyone in or out. Well, so when you think of Cork of Airport, Cathy, up on a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There's a lot of people being in Cork, that's for sure. Sure. Listen, you stay safe out there, all right, and thanks very much. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Cheers. Cheers, Cathy. Uh, Cathy O'Sullivan, uh, living in Auckland for the last nearly 17 years now. She's a journalist. Was it with the Echo uh, as a sub-editor and then emigrated 16, 17 years ago, lives out there now. Frightening. If you look it up, the pictures and the video from that part of the world, absolutely scary. And it's the summer. It's the middle of summer. 0818 96 96 96. We are back to the subject of weight and fat shaming uh, shortly because we had a very distressed email last week talking about, as we were, about Operation Transformation and the various objections that some people have to that show. And look, it's in full swing at the moment and it is what it is. If you're enjoying it, you're enjoying it. who am I to question you? But there are those who would want it taken off the telly completely. And in the course of that conversation, we started to get calls and texts and emails about fat shaming. And one particularly upsetting story about a five-year-old child being fat shamed. I'll get to that in a while. 0818 96 96 96. We've just wrapped up Live Free in 23. Oh my God. Now, we're sending you to see... We're sending you to see... A homegrown superstar. Live. Grab your passport and get ready to play. 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 Because we'll reveal all very soon. On Cork's 96FM. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, with such fun with Live Free and 23 over the last couple of weeks. And it's all over now. And we're waiting for the next big way to win. More deets on that in the days to come. But it all came to a big conclusion, an exciting conclusion, around about a quarter past eight this morning. Hello? (laughs) Hello? Kelly? Yes? It's you. Yes! Oh my God! Well done! There you go. There you go. <laughs> Kelly Ahern. Where are you from, oh, Kelly? Um, I'm from Carrigaline. <laughs> but I'm at work at the moment. <laughs> You're at work? Where are you working? I'm working in your asylum, Black Pool. All right. Is there people there with you or are they all yeah. just shocked into silence? <laughs> I know they're shocked. No, there's people here, yeah. All right. Oh, my God. Kelly. They're listening on the radio. Oh, they're all, your best, they're all, they're all your best friend oh. now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they are, yeah. <laughs> Kelly, <laughs> I never ate friend. your yogurt in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Ahern from oh Carrigaline, you have just won Live Free in 23. Oh my God, thank you so much. Have a listen to this, Kelly. You've probably heard it a hundred times already, but now, now it's yours. These, two, these are all yours. Yeah, two, okay. 2,000 euro holiday, 
uh, 1,000 euro of fuel for, uh, for your car or home, supermarket shopping worth a grand, 1,000 euros to spend on fashion, a Cork Credit Union's account with a grand in cash, computers and electrical worth 2,000 euro, 500 euro for hair and beauty treatments, 500 euro for your favourite takeaways, and a pair of golden tickets that'll get you to every gig for Live at the Marquee. Oh, it's yours. Wow. wow. Oh my God. Uh, is I'm that going, is that going to um, is that going to make a big difference to you this year? Oh, huge, huge! Thank yeah. you so much. There you go. That's Kelly Hearn, our winner of Live Free in Twenty Three on Cork's Ninety Six FM. Now the next way to win a homegrown superstar. We're sending you to see a homegrown superstar live. You'll need your passport. More details very soon on Cork's 96FM. You will need your passport for this next one. It's coming soon. Now, last week we were talking, as I said, about Operation Transformation and weight and all of those things. We got this email. Hi, PJ. My heart is broken from the culture of fat shaming. This came to opinion at 96FM.ie. My daughter is six. She started junior infants in September. I bought her a pinafore and a skirt for her school uniform. She didn't want to wear the pinafore after a week. She only wanted to wear the skirt. Then I found out why. One of the boys in her class told her she looked fat in her pinafore. I'm so mad this happened. They're so young to be thinking like this. I'm so sad to think my daughter thought it was okay for him to say it and that she had to stop wearing the pinafore to look better. She's only five Well, she turned six in January. Not that it matters, but my daughter's not overweight. In fact, she's very tall for her age. There are comments always made about her appearance because she is so much taller than everyone else. That's sad. At six years of age or five years of age, her daughter is refusing to wear her school uniform because some other kids in school said she looked fat in it. That's that's really sad and trying to deal with that and trying to understand that as a parent. I, thankfully, that's not something never happened in our house, but I, I don't think I'd know where to start. But it did. It prompted a call then to us from uh, Michelle. And Michelle, you think that, I'm assuming we think that fat shaming like this, fat shaming like this is learnt and that it's all in in the rearing. Morning. Hi, how are you? Basically, yeah, I mean, I'm one of 11 children that my mother had and she reared us to treat others with respect. Um, you know, it's it's not nice to, to, to talk to people the way, you know, that lady explained in her message there to you. Um, you know, I rear my children, you know, to, to treat others with respect. Um, being a mother of two, um, my kids do come home you know, not nice things are said to them in school. You know, my children, um, you know, are very tall for their age. Um, you know, they're quite, you know, blocky, sturdy children. Um, and they they come home to me there at times and, you know, they're, they're being fat shamed in school. And, you know, I try to tell my children, you know, that it, it's, it's not nice. It's not acceptable. You know, it's obviously, you know, been heard at home. Yeah. You know, I, I tell my children, you know, please don't ever be nasty to other children like that. What kind of you things know, have they um, told you? My, my children come home to me and they're basically saying that, you know, kids in school have called them fat. Um, you know, um, 
being called like uh, a hippopotamus. Um, and my kids come home and they are quite upset. And, you know, I, I say to them, look, girls, you know, everybody's body is different. Mm. We're all built differently. You know, um, there's there's kids in your class that are quite small, they're petite. You know, look at their parents. Their parents are small and petite. Me and your dad are quite tall. We're broad people. You know, um, it doesn't matter, you know, what you look like. It's what's inside that counts. Mm. And, you know, you have two very beautiful personalities. You're great children. You're fun to be around. And you should be around people who make you feel good about yourself. You know, I try to tell them to avoid children in school who bring them down, who bring their their personality down Mm. um, and just basically surround yourself with people who are positive. What age are your children? Eight and 11. Okay, so it's easy at 28 or 38 or 48 to understand that sentiment. It's not that easy at eight. So how do you bring it to their level, as it were? Like, basically, I, I sit them down and, you know, I'm not saying my children are angels by any means. I mean, they do come home, they have little spats in school. And I sit down and I say, OK, let's put the, the, the shoe on the other foot. What if, you know, this child came up to you and said these things to you? I said, you know, how do they make, how does that make you feel? You know, does it make you feel happy? Does it make you feel sad that they have insulted you? And they would say to me, you know, it, it would make me sad. Mm. Um, if if they said that to me and I would say exactly you know you, you just have to sit them down and basically say to them you know it's it's wrong to do these things you know it, it, it's not nice because like they do now have a complex over their weight okay. you know they're constantly comparing themselves to other children in their class saying oh why is this person smaller than me or why am I so so taller and why why am I bigger than them and again I have to say reassure them you know everybody is built differently mm. and you know basically we're not all the same if we were all the same the world would be, would be a pretty boring place mm. um, so yeah I mean it, it, it's it, you know kids can be cruel I know kids will tell you the truth um, but as parents, we have to sit them down and say, you know, what's right, what's wrong, yeah. and kind of steer them on the path in that sense. Just just come back on, on something you said there, Michelle. Kids can be cruel. But I don't think kids are born cruel. I think they learn cruelty. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, they, they see it, you know, online or they see it in school or they watch it on television. They see it at home. Um you know, again, we just have to, to try and steer them in the right direction and hope that they'll, they'll listen to their parents and say, you know, God, I, I, I can't do that because, you know, I, I, I know it's wrong. Yeah. You know, um, and again, as Ch- I say... Children my, learn what they live, they, they absorb what they hear. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, I, I, I myself grew up and I was bullied about my weight when I was in school. I mean, it happened to me when I was out of school. I When I used to come home from, walk home from school, there was just one boy in particular who used to walk the, the road home, the same road as me. And every day, without fail that I can remember, he used to shout across the road at me and make fun of me. And, you know, it it hurt and it stayed with me. And um, I, I, today, I t- up until today, I basically, you know, tell my kids, you know, 
that's how it made me feel and I still think about that. So I want you to think about what you say to other children because that can stick and it can last. And you don't want to be that person who makes those things stick and last in other people's minds. And and do they take your advice on board? They do. Are they good they kids? Do. Yeah, I mean, my my kids are good. Um, I mean, you know, we do have ups and downs. They do have their little spats in school, you know, which is normal. Um, you know, one of my kids were waiting on an assessment, you know, nearly two years. You know, she has sensory processing issues. But yeah, I try and steer her you know, mostly what's good and what, what's not. It sounds like um, you're doing a good job. I hope that assessment comes soon for you. I, I hope so too, yeah. Please God, it's, it's, it's a battle really, you know. Michelle, thank you for your call. Thanks a million. Take care. Cheers, Michelle. Yeah, it's a six-year-old being fat. Look, children will always be nasty to other children. It's just... It's how it happens. It's the way of the world. Children can have very sharp tongues on them. But I, I, I stand over that. Uh, we don't... No child is born cruel. No child goes into school knowing how to be cruel. They, they learn how to be cruel. And where do they learn it? I would argue to my last breath that they learn it from the adults around them. Jenny says you need to speak to the teacher so they can arrange to have a discussion with the class about not insulting other kids about their bodies. Elaine says it's not just young people, a lot of older people say it too. Oh, I would say the older, the worse, because they come from a different culture where you did meet someone in the street and say, oh God, you got pretty fat. Like, they, they will. <laughs> and so it starts. This is terrible and so bad. It needs to be nipped in the bud, says Moira. Children nowadays aren't children for long with all this going on. The poor little kid. Children can be so cruel. Again, Moira, I will come back to this and I'll die on this rock if I have to. Children do not, children are not cruel. Children learn cruelty. There is a difference. Patricia, lesson for life. People are rotten. Big ones. Ah, Patricia. People are rotten. Big ones, small ones, little ones, tall ones, says Patricia. Patricia reckons all people are rotten in their own way. This is terrible, says Margaret. These children that say things like that are hearing it from their parents. There you go, Margaret. Teach your kids to be kind and caring. Children tell the truth, even if it's harsh, says Michael. Maybe, but they live what they, they, they... they tell what they speak, what they see. That's disgusting, but I can only think it starts at home. Here's another one. I refuse to allow my children to use words like fat and ugly. I tell them it's rude and not nice. That's from Anita. Poor child, this crap is starting early. Talk to the teachers, says Eileen. Kelly, it's heartbreaking. People should be more positive when talking about others, especially in front of their children. Louise, breaks my heart how cruel people can be. Body shaming young kids for being overweight. It's so sad why people do this to other kids. This is another child, by the way, Louise. This is a child. Schools should be aware of what's going on in our kids' schools. Bullying is not okay. What's wrong with people who say these things to children? Yes, people are tall for their age sometimes. People pass remarks without thinking. This shouldn't be tolerated by the teacher or by anybody else. It doesn't matter what size the child is. They're still beautiful. But for other kids to body shame them isn't right. 
these kids' parents should sit down with their child and make them understand that judging people for being overweight isn't on. These comments go on. Emma says, this is so sad. It angers me so much that little girl is made feel inadequate due to her size, even if she was overweight. No man, woman or child has the right to tease and make her feel any less valuable because of it. I'm angry inside right now. We must look at where that boy learnt that it's acceptable to say this. At that age, they're literally sponges. They absorb all the actions and words they see at home. I worry every day about what is in store for my kids when they start primary school. All we can do is equip them with skills to believe and internalise their own worth. Feeling acceptance is conditional, and even then, it doesn't seem to be enough these days. Chloe says, my son got a pair of glasses that he likes because he has to wear glasses. And he picked a new shape because he said they were shaped like his dad's sunglasses. He only wore them once or twice. And then I asked why he stopped wearing them. He said people told him it was like Harry Potter. So he didn't like them anymore. He's in senior infants. He's six. That's from Chloe. And Mary sums it all up. Three words. That's just awful. Get kids dancing, says Katie. They all love it. Tell them you're taking them out to a dance class rather than an exercise class. They won't be long shedding excess weight. And here's one just to wrap this lot up and take more if you want them. All my life I felt I was a normal weight, but we all had ferocious appetites in our family. We were lucky with our makeup, but you couldn't believe the type of abuse we put up with. Even horrible racist jokes about the famine. There are two sides to this coin. And I feel that the abuse taken by thin people isn't mentioned enough. Just don't say anything to anybody about their weight. I I learned, a caller told me a couple of years ago, I always thought it would be complimentary to someone to say, Crikey, how are you? You look well, did you lose a bit of weight? I always thought that would be a compliment to somebody. Until I took a call here one morning and it left me reeling, and not many calls do, that they'd said that to somebody. Oh, look, God, I haven't seen you in a long time. You look well. Did you lose some weight? To which the response was, yeah, chemotherapy people do that to you. You see, you just don't. Just don't say anything. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. This is the opinion line with PJ Cook. Ah, lads, he's back at the school. I just saw it there. Enoch is back at the school again this morning. Less said the better. 0818 Now, Philomena. On the fat-shaming subject, what did you want to say? Good morning. Well, I, good morning to you too. What a lovely morning it is here. Isn't Listen it? to me. Uh, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I know a case where a young girl who was eight came home and told her mother that a member of the family, I'm not saying who, where, when, told the child. Now, this was a, a woman in her late 50s, told the child, eight-year-old, that she was fat. Yeah. Now, the child is a little bit overweight, beautiful-looking girl, and for the child to say that to her mum meant that it affected the child and she wasn't happy about it. She was actually crying. Yeah. Now, PJ, where do you go from here? Where do you go from here with the eight-year-old who a family member says they're fat? But I agree with you totally. Kids learn from adults. Mm-hmm. 
It comes from adults. Name calling comes from adults because there's certain names and I won't say anything that kids or us at our age haven't heard from years. And when it comes out, when a child says a word like that, it comes from an adult. It does not come from another child. Yeah, yeah. I've always believed, and as someone who was bullied myself at school, yeah. Philomena, yeah. Yeah. I, I've always believed a bully is not born, a bully is made. And I totally agree with you, a bully is made. And, and we're living in an often said world in 2023 that these things are still going on. See, it was a thing in a different Ireland where if you were putting on a few pounds, someone had said to you, you want to lose a stone now, quick, you're getting fat. And we accepted that because we thought, that, but no, that's not okay. It's not okay. No, no, that's not okay. I mean, when I was growing up in school, I was called bucktooth because I had a, 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 an extra tooth that was growing above the other teeth. And it affected me for years. I, I, when I was an adult and I was nursing, I was afraid to smile because that tooth was still there. Yes. And that's the effect it has from, from going back to your childhood, how it continues into your adulthood. Yes. You know, it, it's, yeah, it, it's sad. It's very sad. But I think with children, you're, you're right. And that's, that's why I rang up. You know, I, I agree totally with you. It comes from adults. That's, this comes from adults. Okay, Philomena, thank you. Good point. 0818 96 96 96. You want to join this conversation? Feel free. That behaviour, says this call, is the very start of bullying. And you know what? I think both kids here should be helped. If he gets a feeling of power from trashing this little girl about her weight, then he will continue along those lines. That's an interesting take on it. Early intervention could change that. I was bullied all through school. And I think the bullies were not deep down bad people. It's just what they had learnt and how they had learnt to get themselves respected. Well, I add to that, caller, I met one of my bullies in later life. We were both grown men with our own families. I met him. Um, And the kind of recognition of God, all those years ago, you hurt me. Uh, And he extended his hand to me. We hadn't seen each other for years, decades. He extended his hand and I took it. And he said, I'm sorry, can I buy you a pint? This was a guy who terrorised me for a couple of years in school. He was just horrible. He never hurt me or physically hurt. He was just horrible. Um, mostly to do with my eyesight because I couldn't play sport because my eyesight was crap. And I wasn't interested in sport anyway back then. He just gave me an awful time. He, I met him. And, like I said, we're both grown men with our own families. And he extended his hand. He said, I'm sorry. And one thing I learned from my father, God rest him, was it takes a man to apologize, but it takes a bigger one to accept it. So I accepted it. And we sat and we drank a pint together. And we drank a second pint. And he said, you know, he said I was... I was a right little, and he used an awful word. I said, it's fine, we were kids. He said, yeah, but he said, you deserve an explanation. He said, that's what I learned at home. I learned that people would respect you if you were horrible to them. So they had a big family. And he learned to be nasty at home. 
So it is learnt behaviour. Children might learn from parents or other adults, says Paul. But unfortunately, I think they learn more from other children and from online videos. Even YouTube Kids shows content that would insult larger people. Yeah. Maybe, Paul, it's even worse now with that kind of online material. 0818969696. From my experience, kids can be really cruel to kids who don't fit a normal box. I have a boy who dances, he loves it, he's good at it, but he keeps getting told he's gay because he isn't football mad. He's 10. I totally believe bullies are allowed away with issues, especially in school. Well, that is learned behaviour. Whatever child is speaking to him like that has learnt it. Absolutely they have. 0818 96 96 96 and they've learnt it from an adult. Now, in November, there was a huge outpouring of love uh, when a GoFundMe was set up for well-known basketball player called Gareth Blunt. Uh, Gareth had a really nasty form of cancer. That uh, that GoFundMe raised over €138,000. It was just an enormous outpouring of love and respect for Gareth and his family. Uh, I spoke at the time to Gareth's brother, Jordan, Sadly, uh, we learned in the last few days that uh, Gareth Gareth passed away uh, last week. Uh, our thoughts are with the family, with his friends, and with all who knew him. And I was watching some of the conversation in the basketball community over the weekend. A lot of sadness. Everybody knew it was coming. But even when you know it's coming, it doesn't make it any easier. Here's a little rem- reminder of my conversation back in November uh, with uh, his brother, Jordan. He's just, you know, just one of the most happiest people in the world. He, every room he goes into, every environment he's in, you wouldn't, you couldn't not know that he was there. And went on to become a, a hero on the basketball court. Yeah, so my family is a huge, huge basketball family. My father... Um, played, refed, coached all over the country for many, many years. You know, I play on the Irish national team. I've been playing professional for a number of years. I've been abroad. And he did the same thing. He played for clubs here in Cork, and then he chanced his arm at going abroad. A community worker as well. Always out there doing stuff. Yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff. You know, he's always tried to be someone that got back into the communities that he came from. So we grew up in Mayfield and then the Glen, and he, as soon as he had the opportunity to, or, you know, the notoriety to, he started running basketball camps and summer camps in these different areas and uh, worked in primary schools and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Funeral arrangements are that there's a mass tomorrow at 11 and then St. Oliver's Dublin Hill, and that's the church, and burial after at St. Catherine's, St. Catherine's in Kilcully. Uh, and may Gareth rest in peace. 0818 96 96 96. On, again, back to fat shaming. The fashion industry, says Kate, has a lot to do with this. Even if a company has okay ads, the clothes themselves often only look good if you're thin, like drainpipe trousers, like belly tops, should we really have these in kids' sizes? You're going to be out if the style doesn't suit your size and everyone is wearing them. Another thing that really bothers people, in the f- and we've talked about this I don't know how many times, at least as a man, you can walk into a shop 
buy a pair of trousers or buy a shirt and be relatively certain that the size is the size. Although, I don't understand small, medium and large. Can you not just put a number on it? But that's that, that's a buy the buy. But if I buy a pair of jeans, it doesn't really matter what shop I buy them in because my size will fit me. With, within reason. For a woman, we've had this on the show so many times. Like, a size 12. A 12 in pennies and a 12 in duns or a 12 in given any boutique they're not the same you can't say 12, 12, 12, 12, what? 14, what? 10, what? I knew someone who bought jeans and actually cut the labels out of them once they found a pair of jeans to fit them cut the labels out of them because there were 12 in one shop and there were 14 in the shop next door like, makes no sense and that doesn't help either it does not help either 0818 96 96 96. Front page of the Echo this morning, there's a story uh, where a high-ranking fire officer, our own good pal, Victor Shine, has said he's concerned about the safety of vulnerable people. There have been house fires in recent months where older people were living alone. And Victor Shine has said that some people are struggling. They're struggling to live independently. Maybe they're living alone for the first time in a long time and they just want to be independent and they're struggling with that. And it's they're also sort of struggling with the cost of living so they're not turning on their heating and they're, they're building fires and they're putting silly things into fires. And, and Victor is saying outdated cooking methods, for example. Uh, some people have their trouble with their mental health. Some people living alone independently, maybe they drink too much. And there's a danger, because they've had some call-outs recently to house fires. And Victor Shine is suggesting that we visit our neighbours who are living alone, particularly our elderly neighbours who are living alone. And he's really, if you like, he's echoing the words of the great Paddy O'Brien for so many years. Just check, you know, old Mrs O'Sullivan at the end of the road, or, you know, Mr Murphy. Just knock in the door, check are they all right? Do they need anything from the shop? Have they got fuel? Have they got firewood? Have they got a bit of kindling? You know, do 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 are they okay with everything? And you know, maybe if they'll if they'll invite you in, great. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll just tell you to go and get stuff, but that's fine too. But Victor Shine is saying, look, just just check on the elderly neighbours. Because They've been called out to house fires, and obviously, what you see when the fire brigade go to a house fire, they tend to investigate. What they don't tend to, they do investigate afterwards what caused that fire, particularly if somebody was injured or worse. And he's clearly speaking from from experience. Is our friend Victor? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The Cork Diary. Cork's ninety six FM. Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not for profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to Cork Diary at ninety six FM The Cork Diary with CorkSimon.ie because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Corks 96 FM. The lines are live. Hello. 
Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 9696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion mine with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. We're busy this morning. Siobhan, you'll be on the radio with me in about a minute's time, so hold your home. 0818 203 years ago today, a man from East Cork drew a map of something he'd seen in front of him. He got out a pencil and a piece of paper or whatever paper they had at the time. He got out a pencil and a piece of paper and he started to draw a map of this thing he'd seen in front of him that he didn't think anybody had ever seen before. He was a man from Ballinacurra near Middleton. There is a monument to him down there today. His name was Edward Bransfield and what he discovered, what he saw and started to draw the first pictures and first map of was what we now call Antarctica. And 203 years ago today, that that, that happened. Uh, Antarctica, discovered by a man from, from East Cork. Go down and see the monument. It's worth a trip. You take nothing else out of a trip to East Cork of a Sunday afternoon. Pop down and see the Bransfield Monument. It's a beautiful monument. I was there for the unveiling of it a couple of years ago. Right, back to the topic of uh, fat shaming. And uh, Siobhan, thanks for holding. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What would you like to say? Well, all I wanted to say is that a close member of my family, I have three children. Now, the two older children will be of lighter build than my younger child. And a close member of the family, um, every time we met her, she constantly calls her fat. So, to her face? To her face. Now, this started from the age of two, give or take, to the age of, like, she is 10 now. And, um,. It's just the fact that and now the child totally wants to meet the family member <laughs> because she's afraid of what she may say to her. Do you know, she's a stronger built child, but she's not fat by no means, mm. not to use that word. So we've actually banned the word in our household yeah. that it's not to be used, that there's plenty of other words to describe a stronger built person yeah. than that word. <laughs> there was a generation of people who thought if you were putting on a pound or two or a child was putting on a pound or two that child is getting awful fat you want to watch that they said it straight out but I never heard of someone saying it straight to the child oh god yes like when we'd go visit you'd get um, god you got very fat since I last saw you this is to the, the child. child to the child directly to the child and we'd say the lady okay is in her, an older generation but like I used to constantly just go, you can't use that word to a child. Because, you know, but she just took no notice, obviously. You know, so I did put it down to her age. But then again, I'm kind of saying that's no excuse. Well, it's not okay. It was okay one time, maybe 40, 50 years ago. It wasn't, not that it was okay, it was just done. It's not okay now. No, it's not. And, you know, it has turned, we'll say, my children, because obviously I keep saying that that's not correct. And it's turned my children off of visiting this person That's because of what they're even the older two um, for what they may say to their younger sister. That's, you know, that's, that's sad. That, yes. that, that, that is, is sad. Is in every way. Did in you ever? Way. Did you ever get an opportunity to speak to this person and say, "Look, would you mind not saying that well, to the child? You shouldn't say that to the child, even well, privately, like." 
I, well, I suppose not privately. I never went about it privately, but at the time, I'd say, God, you can't say something like that to the poor child. She's grand, you know, but it's just like, you kind of get worn down from it because every time it was the same regardless of what you say. I know, <laughs> you know? I know, I know. So you just, you know, they've, they've learned which is sad, really. They've learned not to... Really that is sad. too pushed about visiting either. That, you know, that, so. that is sad. But you know, that's, that's, that sometimes is why people end up lonely because if they won't change their ways, people just stay away. That can happen. Siobhan, thank you. 0818 96 96 96. This discussion still open. Uh, if you have any more thoughts on fat shaming and calling people fat and calling children fat and particularly what I was saying earlier on, I don't believe that any child will just call another child that word without provocation, if you like, without being learning it, without picking it up somewhere. No child is, is born like that. They just they just learn it and they and they pick it up from others around them. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I read this report a couple of times last week because it is a very well respected report. It is the Credit Union Consumer Sentiment Index and comes out a couple of times a year. And it tracks household sentiment. In other words, how we as householders and members of credit unions up and down the country, how we perceive the cost of living, how we perceive the state of the nation, how we perceive the state of the economy, that kind of thing. And the general view on the latest household sentiment survey or consumer sentiment index is that most people seem to think the worst is over of the economic crisis. The survey suggests, I'm reading from the examiner, Irish households felt they have weathered the demands of Christmas better than they had feared. And the receipt of things like the energy bill credits and the Christmas bonus welfare payments had also assisted in their outlook on life. It had taken, particularly the the energy credit, the electricity credit, had taken the sting out of it. Now, Austin Hughes is a very respected economist. He said the boost in sentiment from this survey would point to consumers thinking that the worst may be over. And the general sentiment would be that, yes, 2023 will be difficult, but not disastrous for the cost of living. Now I had a right devil of a gas bill uh, last week the week before. My gas bill dropped and they were looking for 600 and something off of me. I was talking to a friend on Saturday night his gas bill dropped and they were looking for 750 off of him. Michael? Yes, PJ? How much does the gas man want off of you? He wants, well, it's not me, because my wife looks after all the money in our house, so I'm sure. very fortunate in that respect. But he wants 905, 905, PJ, for the gas. And that that uh, does that sort of has already reduced a certain amount, you know, and you're, you're too young now to understand this. But when you reach a certain age, you get an additional allowance. Yeah. So, in fact, if we had to pay the full amount of the bill, it would be just under a thousand, but nine zero five is the amount that uh, will will has been paid. Wow! And uh, that is just basically for a normal household. Now, there are three of us living in the house. Compare the that to this time last year, Michael. 
Well, I, I don't know what it was, my, as I said, my, but it was a hell of a lot less. I mean, even my wife got a shock when she saw this. She was expecting an increase. So I, I have not read that, um, that report, but I must say I was quite surprised to hear people, to, to hear that there are people who believe that the worst is over. Mm. Because from my interaction with, with people, uh, they are very, very concerned uh, in general, is what I must say. I have not met anybody who believes the worst is over. In fact, everybody I meet and discuss with, they seem to feel that the worst is yet to come. Now, I hope we're all wrong in that respect, yeah. because already I think we have far too many people who are suffering and who have suffered. Now, some of us would have a, a better income than others, and we would be insulated a little bit, and we would not suffer these increases as much as others. But if we look at people on lower income and people on fixed pensions, I think I I would have serious concern for those people. And, you know, uh, you had... um you had a long discussion last week uh, about uh, a, a comedian making some comments which gave Tommy offense Tiernan, to yeah. Dr. Nerius. But <laughs> I, this, this is a true story. It's not a theory. But you know how the, the, the Cork sense of humor is. Mm-hmm. Now, I was walking through a, a shopping center last week, and a few gentlemen, used the term sparingly here, were having coffee. And when they saw me, they said, uh, excuse me, sir. You, you, you're a very intelligent and well-traveled man. Can you join us for a second? <laughs> now, when somebody addresses you like that, you know there's something coming. So one of them looked at me and he said, why do so many world leaders assemble in Davos every year? Oh, right. Right? Now, I, I looked at him and I said, well, I have no doubt you have the answer to that. He said, they go there so they can be wined and dined and thanked by the millionaires and the billionaires for the, all the money they had made available to them and increased their income in the past year. Right. Now, many a true word spoken in jest, PJ. Yeah. While the economy is suffering, while the people are suffering, the millionaires and the billionaires have increased their profits since yeah. COVID started. Yeah, yeah. This is a fact of life. Now, why is that? Now, one man's difficulties are another man's opportunities. Ain't that the truth? So Mm. they see opportunity, and you can't blame businessmen. Now, let's be fair. You can't blame businessmen. They see a business opportunity, they invest. But what I would blame is, I would blame the politicians who over the years have outsourced and privatized many of the national resources of this country. Mm. So as a result of the outsourcing and the privatization, in many cases, the, in, the, the employees then would be kind of let go or offered incentives to leave or whatever. Yeah. And then people employed on lower working conditions and lower salaries. Now, an incident in that, as you know, and again, you, you know, your program has, has highlighted so many problems in, in, in the last number of years. Well done. But for instance, zero-hour contracts yeah. became a big issue and were a big issue, and rightly so. I think they're illegal now. Okay, they're, they're illegal. Are. But PJ, here is something I have learned from speaking to people recently. They have been replaced by something that many people feel a little bit unfair, but it's a 25-hour contract. Yes. So what these people get now 
or 25 hours a week on minimum wage. Yeah. And they are then considered workers. Now, let me give you one example of somebody I met recently while I was making my way down Maryborough Hill, shuffling along. A person whom I had met in a supermarket shortly before, not Irish, but was very appreciative when I spoke to this person in their own language. Now, it turned out, so this was 7 o'clock in the morning. The person was heading to work. I met the person later at the place of work. So, left the, in the Mary Bar Hill area at, at whatever time, 7 o'clock bus to be at work at 8, two buses to get there, two buses home, four hours work on minimum wage. Yeah. And travelling to and from work. Now, this is something that, you know, our politicians and senior civil servants don't seem to want to understand. They're talking about the far right becoming very operative here in this country. But I don't know anybody from the far right. Maybe they are out there. But what they don't seem to understand is there are a lot of very unhappy people out there whose income has been reduced, whose family's income have been reduced, who feel they are worse off now than they were several years ago. Now, you again have had them on your show, so I don't need to go through them. People who have been forced to move back in with their family who can't get enough money for a mortgage to buy a house. So people are unhappy. Now, I don't agree with, with these people who claim to be far right or whatever and threatening violence and, and I have a letter I'll send it to you which was published in the Southern Star last week on that but you know the, 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 the people in power should wake up and become aware yeah. of how unhappy the people are but instead of that what do we have we have the Secretary General of the Department of who moved to the Department of Health, gets an increase of 81,000 yeah, a year. Yeah, I remember that. And now you have the Secretary General of the Department of Housing who wants an increase to bring his income to more than 250,000. Now, good luck to people who can negotiate deals and better yes, salaries. Yes. But this is taxpayers' money. Yes. You have people our surviving money, on our minimum money, wage. Our money, Michael, your money, my money, Emer's money, Fergus' right. money. You're, 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 money. Absolute, you're, right. you're absolutely right. But come back to the, to the bills. I mean, what I felt the other day when my gas bill arrived, um, and I looked at it and I go, oh boy, I was able to say, okay, that's a kick. That's a sting to be getting in the middle of January. But I can sustain it. My heart went out to someone who can't. Well, this is exactly what I said, Peter. I can just about some of us, sustain some it. Some of us you know? are in a position that we can observe this. But this comes back again. Where is the old car gas company? Sold on. So the government have basically lost control of these companies. If the government had owned the gas company then there was some action they could take. Even the ESB now has gone to such a stage, and even though the government are major shareholders, mm. they tell us that they cannot interfere or involve themselves. Yeah. And this comes back again to the privatisation and the outsourcing because they have let go, the same with the old uh, Aircom or Telecom, whatever it was, when they sold it off and has been butchered and chopped up and sold on. But it comes back to the fact that the government and those responsible in the civil servants who advised them have sold off the state assets and as a result the government are now not in a position to basically, if you use the word, interfere yeah. in these matters. Whereas if the government owned them then they could take a different attitude and a different approach. And again, it is the poor, unfortunate person living alone or on one salary, on one income, working maybe minimum wage or on a basic government pension 
these are the people who are suffering more than most. Now, eventually it will catch up with you and me also if it continues like that. Yes. We hope not. We certainly hope not. And we hope that the, the, the credit unions are right in what they're saying. But, you know, when you see things... Now, there's money in the country. They have a surplus in the country. And yet, if you looked at the television the other night, there was a poor, unfortunate young person in a mobile wheelchair who needs it to get around and it's held together by ties. I saw that. You saw that? I saw no, that. No, isn't that absolutely disgraceful? Yes. A disgraceful reflection. In a, in a country with a in surplus. A country with a surplus. That this poor young boy who needs his wheelchair, now he's only one, look, there are hundreds and dozens a week we could spend all day, you know more about them than I do, but this is absolutely disgraceful. And then we pay a phenomenal increase to the head of the HSE. Yeah. And and to the Secretary General of, of, of the department. And that is what the parents have to suffer. In addition to him, we have the children that you know about. You've had their parents on yeah. pleading, crying, begging to get some help, to get some support, to get some assistance. And it's not forthcoming. Why? Because the money is not getting to where it should. And here's a very simple statement now, PJ, and somebody might want to take me up on this. The private health service in this country works. It works well. It works efficiently. Mm. Now, I know people can come up with all sorts of excuses why the HSE shouldn't and cannot. But if a private health service can work, the HSE should work. And all it needs is proper management. And listen, I think I may have told you already that I did write to Michal Martin mm. when the, the head of the HSE, and I offered my services to run the HSE for him <laughs> at one euro a year. <laughs> One euro a year. Did but he even I, write back to you, Michael? Well, he, there was an acknowledgement saying that it had been brought to his attention. But, you know, what it needs, but I said what it needs is somebody to go in there with the right to hire and fire. Yes. And this is the problem, that the civil servants cannot be fired. They cannot lose, well, you can't, well, it's not so to say cannot, well, but well, in well, general, uh, it's very difficult to fire. You're bringing me back to something now before I let you go, Michael, that I've been saying here for a while. Who is really in charge? So if I'm the Minister for Health or the Minister for Finance or the Minister for anything, Minister for whatever you're having yourself, right? Do I walk into my department on a Monday morning and say, lads, I need this to happen, make it happen? Or do they tell me, no, Minister, you can't do that? Well, Who's in charge? It would appear the latter. And here, look, something that just came up recently. Uh, Dr. Houlihan and his secondment to Trinity College. Yes. No. I know nothing about it. The best of luck. It, it all went pear shaped, right? and he's writing. Right. He's writing his book. At he's the writing his book. But here's the thing. And again, I give you an example. Apparently, the decision to approve the secondment was made by the secretary general of the department without consultation with the minister. And worse again, Michael, it didn't have to be brought across the minister's well, desk. There you go. But there's, there's something wrong That's there. That's the worst. You're not wrong. That's the worst bit. That's that the it worst did, bit. I, it didn't have to be approved by the minister. So who is in charge here? And now that the review that was carried out into the matter has been sitting on the minister's desk since last July, and the secretary general is blocking him from publishing it. Yeah. Now, how can that happen? How can yeah. a civil servant dictate to a government minister elected by the exactly. people? And that, I think, is the kernel to the problem. We could spend all day discussing Good. it, and maybe we'll get back to it another time. But I think you're right. The problem in this country is the civil service but, who keep a low profile but have control, and the ministers are not able or willing to put them in their places. Lastly, come back to where we started. Yes, and I'm going to put it out to, to, to listeners to the opinion line this morning. Do you believe the worst is over? Well, unfortunately, I do not. 
I think we are going to suffer a lot more before it improves. Because don't forget, and again, I don't want to cause any problems here, but don't forget we have the influx of people coming into the country who require support and assistance. The other problem is we have more than 11,500 people that the government and the civil servants have not faced their responsibilities with. And whether we like it or not, and despite what they're telling us, when those people started coming in from Ukraine, the government and the civil servants turned to voluntary organizations to help them rather than they take the responsibility to get out there and get something done. Yeah. They turned it over to the Red Cross and to other volunteer, volunteer and like Cockpenny Dinners, God bless them in there, they're all saints. You know, they turned a blind eye and they seem to absolve themselves of responsibility and say, it's not our responsibility. And the people need to wake up to look at what's happening and to make their politicians wake up and do their jobs right. and force the civil servants to do their jobs. Thank well, you very much. Leave Peter. it there, Michael. Yep. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to speak with you. But th- there's the question. That's a kind of a broad-ranging conversation. You're welcome to pick up on any point that Michael has made. But his overall contribution was with regard to this credit union consumer sentiment index, which comes out, I think it might even come out every month. It's a constant thing. And these constant surveys are always the, the most reliable ones. And it's been running for 27 years. And it's considered to be a very accurate look at how things are. And according to its latest index, its latest edition, the worst is over. Or many people believe that the worst is over. So I'm going to throw it out to you this morning. Uh, 0818969696, Do you think the worst is over? I certainly hope so. Michael doesn't think so. Do you think the worst is over? 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, I'd like to know what you think about that. Do you believe one of the most respected consumer surveys in the country believes the worst is over. Do you? 0818-969696. Me, I just don't know. I would like to think so. I don't want any more 600 euro gas bills. Thank you very much. We come back to it. See where Paris Hilton has had a child. Um, her first child, uh, surrogate, um, happened there in the last while. Um, and Paris Hilton, I didn't know what age she was. She's she's 41. I had no idea Paris Hilton was 41. She's not a person I followed the fortunes of, as it were. Her husband is a man called Carter Room. I, I didn't know who he was either. But I did see the picture. I did see the Instagram post um, with the little, uh, their son, who doesn't have a name yet. Uh, and the caption was, you're already loved beyond words. Tanya Sweeney, you've been writing about this because you, you reckon, like, the, the mention of her age and how many times her age is mentioned, you you kind of took issue with it. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Yeah, I did. I, I wrote about this last week in the Irish Independent and, you know, I noticed that as soon as her, her you know, the, the, the birth announcement had been made, there was a much mention of, of, you know, Paris Hilton, you know, at 41 becoming a mother, you know. Now, she became a, a mother via surrogacy and, I mean, that, that you know, it was, it was 
she has made no secret of her infertility kind of issues in the past. You know, I don't know if age was necessarily uh, the biggest risk, risk risk factor in all of that. But anyway, that's that's uh, her business, I guess. But she decided in the end to go with um, with a surrogacy, a dem surrogacy route. And yeah, she became a, a parent and at 41, much like myself, although I became a parent at 42. So. Right. And... Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's an awful term. <laughs> I didn't know this until recently. Women over mm. the age of 35 are known mm. as geriatric mammies. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's the word. That's what you're told in the maternity hospitals that you're having a geriatric pregnancy, you know. And, Did someone I mean, actually I, use those words to you, Tanya? Absolutely. Well, I mean, when I was when I had my daughter, you know, I was um I was told that Um, You know, it was a high risk. And, you know, I mean, look, you cannot deny that these are the facts that when you are older, you know, there are certain risks associated with your pregnancy, you know. And I think it would be remiss of any healthcare professional to ignore that, you know. Geriatrics are a horrible word. I I hate it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day. My mother is 81. If you call her a geriatric, she'd fire something at you. Well, this is it, exactly, at 35, you know, I mean, I think a lot of 35-year-olds are, are very, very young, you know, and I mean, the funny thing is that most of my friends had their children in their 40s, you know, so um, I don't necessarily see it as as anything too out of the ordinary. I think a lot of people did when I when I told them I was pregnant. I, I said this before, you know, I told a friend of mine that I wasn't drinking, you know, on a particular night and she went, oh, okay, and she actually genuinely thought I was I was off to rehab, you know, and it was more plausible for her that I was, you know, seeking treatment for for alcohol dependency then than than having a baby, you know. So there you go. There was a time when doctors would tell you to try to conceive before thirty five because there was an increased risk to the baby thereafter. Is that still what medicine tells us or has it changed? Well, I I think, you know, this is something that has been going on. I think the one thing that you're told is that you are more at risk of, you know, gestational diabetes, uh, preeclampsia, chromosomal um, disorders with the child and so on and so forth. Um, 
you're you know, I mean, I was told as well nearing the end of my pregnancy that I wasn't really able to kind of, you know, just let things, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, wait and see. You know, it was kind of like, you know, we don't allow these pregnancies to go over term because there is more of a risk of things going wrong, which was totally fine. You know, so I had a C-section before my due date, which was perfectly, you know, worked out perfectly well for me, you know. Yeah, yeah. everything went well, but you, you, were, you were watching yourself. Absolutely. No, I had a great time. You know, I had a I had an elective C-section and it was uh, the, the easiest, uh, th- you know, it was very easy for me. I mean, I know a lot of people are very, very scared of C-sections, but I had a I had a great time, you know, I really did. Yeah, at 40. Like, did, did, and did people look at you as if you were, hang on, aren't you a bit old to be having a child? Do people still Not think really. that? Not really. I think what it was for me is a lot of people were like, I didn't think you were that type of person. And it was because, I mean, I met my husband when I was about 39, you know, and I think a lot of people had just assumed that I was the the kind of swallow that sang all summer. I was, you know, last out of the lock-in. I was, you know, great kind of, you know, party animal, loved to travel. And I think people just assumed that was the kind of person I was, you know. So when I kind of did this pivot towards parenthood and the suburbs and marriage and all that, they were like, wow, interesting, (laughs) you know. It definitely wasn't part of my personal brand, you know. But I, and that's the thing with being a parent, becoming a parent, it, you know, for the first time in your forties, you you do get to carry on to your liking for a very long time, you know, before you're kind of, um, you know, yeah. you're 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 forced to kind of settle down and and get stuck into some proper work, really. Yeah. In twenty twenty, you you have this statistic here. There was four thousand seven hundred births yeah. to women over forty in twenty twenty. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge jump in the last decade. And I mean, I'd well believe it. I mean, I most I can only really speak for a lot of my friends and myself. You know, most of us wanted to wait until we'd met the right person and we had, you know, we're in a stage in our lives where we were able to do it. You know, I mean, I think when I was 30, 35, you know, just having a child was not an option at all for me. Um, just because I was having too much fun. I was, you know, freelancing as a journalist. You know, I was renting. I mean, I'm still renting, but, you know, it just never felt, and I was single, of course, and it never felt like the right time, you know. Mm. And it, it took me a while to, to to find my husband, to to wheedle him out of the, <laughs> out of the pack, you know. And, and did you feel then, well, look, I've seen a bit of the world. I've married. Mm. I've waited around a while. Now's my turn yeah. to have a baby. A little bit, yeah. I, I'd gotten a lot out of my system. I'll put it that way. I mean, I do find it kind of funny, you know, that a lot of my friends who had their children in their twenties, those kids are now in their twenties, so they're kind of enjoying the getting off to the cinema on a Wednesday night and and heading to the pub whenever they want, and they don't need a babysitter if they want to go and see a gig. Whereas I'm back where they kind of were, we'll say in their 20s, you know, where they were sort of tethered to the to the homestead a little bit, you know. So I I do find that very entertaining, you know, because they're getting to kind of thinking about, they're thinking about travelling now and and all of that and, and mm. you know, kind of refocusing on their careers in a way they mightn't necessarily have done in their 20s, you know. Yeah. So there's been a bit of a, a flip, a reversal of fortunes. Do you, do you think it could be difficult? And I remember when my kids were teenagers, they're... They're 25 now, the twins are 25 now. So when 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 I was dealing with stroppy teenagers, you know, I was, yeah. you could, you'll be what? You'll be in your... I'll be menopausal. 
It'll be great, Craig. Be in your mid to late fifties, dealing with a dealing with a stroppy te- stroppy teenager. How do you think that'll work Absolutely. out? Absolutely, I will. I mean, you know what? Who's to say? I mean, I, I did say this in my piece. Like, you know, there's this big kind of line going around that you know people who have children older know themselves better, and that they are more sure of themselves. I'm not necessarily sure that's true. I second guess myself as a parent every day of the week, yeah. whereas I've met you know, parents in their mid-twenties who have just taken to it like a a Buddhist monk, you know, they're like (laughs) completely calm, completely able, very, very confident in their abilities. Uh, I think it's a personality thing. I'm I'm very kind of still a bit, you know, nervy about what I'm doing, you know, and I don't think being in my forties has necessarily mitigated that, to be honest. (laughs) You're still learning about life. Oh, I still am. Oh, listen, every day's a school day around here, telling you. I have a few years on you and I'm still learning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Good talking to you, Tanya. Thank you very Thanks, much. PJ. Cheers. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. PJ, I had my three kids in my late 30s and 40s. I'm bait them. <laughs> I love them dearly, but I feel like a geriatric mom these days. Please, 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 please have your babies in your 20s, if it's at all possible. You'll have more energy and can run around after them. If I'd met my partner earlier, I'd have banged out the babies in my 20s. Anna, your choice of words is giving me a big white smile this Monday morning. Go back to the subject of fat shaming and the way that older people will speak to and about children in the way that they always did. And you kind of can't... You have to allow for that. That older people will speak in a way that we go, no, no, you can't say that. Because they always did. That's the world they grew up in. Uh, My partner's, and I was talking to Siobhan at the top of this hour, uh, about a relative of hers who just openly to their face called one of her children fat. Repeatedly. So now they don't want to go and visit this person. You can kind of see why, can't you? Um, The lady is right. My partner's grandmother told my son when he was four that he was fat. He absolutely isn't. But she still says to me about her saying it. Every time she sees him, she says to him something about weight, hair colour, or how something about him is wrong. He's now terrified of going to see her. He won't, he won't go anymore. I told her she can't speak to him like that, but they don't care. That generation don't. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Some people are kind of gone beyond changing in the way that they're going to talk to you. Uh, you know, you know. Ah, look, you know, mammy, that kind of thing. Are you know, nana? You know what she's like. You know, look, you know. Are you know, dad? Are you look, you know, Uncle Tom? That that's Uncle Tom. Like, that is, mammy, or that is Uncle. Tom. It's not acceptable though. But who's going to pull pull them up in, in a room full of people and say, "Come here now, stop." Lay off. You can't talk to them like that. You can't say that. Who's going to make, who's going to have that difficult conversation? 0818 96 96 96. Lewis Capaldi is ringing back fans in his own self-marketing. Somebody who bought his latest single, which went to number one straight away. He's ringing them randomly. Yeah. Some of them not going so great. No. Right. Calling people who downloaded my new single to thank them. This is Lily. Hello, is this Lily? Yeah. Lily, who's your favourite singer? Oh, she hung up. That was uh, obviously it must be a cheer. Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the City. Corks 96 FM.
Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Punch 96 FM. Now, on Friday, I had a good conversation with Luke. Uh, Luke is living and has been living for the last year and a bit at the Travel Lodge. And look, he said it's grand. It's a bedroom, it's a comfortable bed, there's a bath and a shower and a telly and a table and a chair and all those kind of things. But it's not home. And he was talking about modular homes. And Luke, where Luke lives, if you know that part of town, up around the corner, literally three minutes walk, you can go into a showroom or a show yard, if you want, and you can see a little modular apartment with a kitchenette and a washing machine and a bed and a table and a chair and a toilet, electrical plumb, the whole lot, in a little house, little small little house, little modular apartment type structure. You can see them as well down near Bally Cedars. Another company has them down there. And you can have one bedroom or two bedroom. And Luke's topic of conversation with me was, well, well, why can't we just put people into them? And he's thinking about running for politics uh, the local elections are coming up in May of 2024 and Luke is thinking of running for politics uh, because he's been trying to get himself housed properly now for, for a while and he's wondering why modular houses like that aren't a thing. There, is, there, there are modular houses being put in for Ukrainian refugees and the like. Luke's argument was, well, why can't we buy up loads of these small little places and take land, publicly owned land, with utilities on it and just basically plug them in, plumb them up and turn them on and take people out of hotel rooms and out of homelessness on at least a very temporary basis. Very interesting chat with Luke. Paul, uh, you were listening and, and you agree with him. Good morning. Yeah, go on, PJ. Yeah, he's absolutely correct on modular homes and stuff. No, like, I looked up myself before taking the call with you, the price of a modular home, and I looked at pictures of them. And for, for a lovely modular home, you can buy one for 21,000. Yeah. And you multiply 21,000 by 500 homeless people in Cork, and that, that, that the cost of that comes to 10.5 million. These are the little ones now that you can buy wired, plumbed. I wouldn't necessarily say little. They're they're a nice size. What size did you find for 21,000? I, I would reckon by looking at it, it would have been a three bedroom. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, and insulation works then to put them in place would be €9,000 each, bringing the total sum to £4.5 million for installation works. So that brings it up to £15 just to sort sort out the um, housing crisis in Cork with modular homes. Yeah. I I was saying to Luke, it's something that came up on the programme years ago. Before we used the term modular home, someone said, is it time to look at like a trailer park which you put mobile homes into it? But like you said, there are small units available. You can go and see them in a number of different places around town. They're there. And if the state bought a load of them, well, they get surely get a great deal from the supplier. So you reckon, why aren't they doing it? Well, look, PJ, do they really need a great deal? Because at the end of the day, I think it's a great deal they're getting. Anyway, 
with a budget of 268 million for 2023. Yeah, it's a, know, it's a strong point. Is it time, do you think, to start looking at that, though? I mean, you're, you're on, Paul. I, I'm sorry to hear that you're still trying to find yourself a place. Still going around in circles, PJ. Do you know, like I said to you in the, the last the last show I was on with you, it's a never-ending circle. Yeah. Like, where are you, you know, now? I'm, I'm in, a, in a hotel now, PJ. Do you know, and I was in the hospital before that, and I had to go on hunger strike in the whole lot just to... Because the conditions inside in the hospital were absolutely appalling. It was yeah. disgusting. It was inhumane. Sure. And what's, a, what's the hotel room like? Talking to Luke on Friday... I've stayed in a travel lodge myself. It's it's not bad at all if you're using it for what it's intended, but, but living there ain't ain't the best. Like he's got a bed and a table and a chair and a telly and a shower and a toilet. I I take it you're something the same. It is exact same, PJ. But like what <clears throat> what I think is wrong is like I prefer, like I've two double beds inside a hotel room. Hmm. I'm sleeping in one. Hmm. Do you know it's it's it, and then, like, I walk through the city and you see fall asleep in the doorways. It's like, Jesus, you know. Yeah. Just never ending. It's eight years. I, I'm sending, sending emails to the council every week. Yeah. You know, asking questions. Why was I put into a property that was condemned? Yeah. Why am I back in emergency accommodation? Eight years running in and out of it. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm scratching my head and I get no answers. I actually had to escalate that issue to the ombudsman about the council, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm waiting on reply back off the ombudsman. Hopefully he can get me the answers yeah. I'm looking for. I, I hope he does, because you told me your story previously, and, and you really have been been through the ringer on this. But coming back to Luke's suggestion, that it's time to start looking at those little homes that can be bought off, off a site, installed wired, put onto the water. It's time to start doing that, is it? Oh, it's, they, it's, this should have been done a long time ago, PJ. You know, like, you look at Cork, 10,000 derelict properties. Yeah. That that's a, that's another scandal in itself, and we talk about that all the time. We've loads but, of empty property. But, like, you know, and I know that, you know, that, 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 that's happening because it's suiting government, you know. Well, they, suits some, like it suits they, somebody. If they wanted to fix their 10,000 derelict properties in Cork, they can do it. They won't do it. They gave funding for 50, 50 derelict properties to be done up last year. Hmm. You know, it's it's shocking. It's a shocking figure. Yeah. You know, it's like, like derelict properties is the way to, that, that's another way to sort of the housing crisis they're not looking into that either like you know mm. taking derelict properties doing them up and letting them out you walk through the city and you see fall asleep in doorways it's like it shouldn't be happening yeah there's no need uh, for it to happen no no I don't because the space don't. is there we, yeah. we, we, we all know that Katrina Toomey far better qualified than I will tell you that oh yeah she, she, she's, she's brilliant you know she's she dealing with all that though for years PJ and she knows what she knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. But you reckon Luke is on to something. Would you vote for him if he stood in the elections next year? I would, PJ, because he's living in reality. Yeah. Yeah. So you no, know, he knows what's going on. Yeah. 
you know, your councillors, TVs, your ministers, they don't live in reality like like myself and Luke do, you know? That's a fair point. Paul, I wish you well. I know it's been rough for you, and thanks for contacting me again. No, bother, Peter. Bye. Thanks very much. Cheers, Paul. Have a good day. That's another man living in a hotel room, which he won't complain about it. It's grand, but it's not a home. And it's a time to start looking at modular homes. Mod- parks. Entire parks of of modular homes. We had a couple of comments in about Luke. just head on to the weekend. The government may think of using a trailer park. This came on the phone. But I'll definitely tell you what they should do is offer retrofitting grants and upgrade grants to the owners of unoccupied properties, particularly in the countryside. Some of them would be very difficult to heat up the way they were built in the 70s. And even if they were up for rent, people might not be able to afford to run them. And the owners know that. Also, the rules about renting out a house are a huge barrier to people who inherit a house or bought a house to do it up and then got out of their depth or didn't bargain for the building inflation we have had. Uh, yeah, Bernie says, I think the lesson from the two calls you've had, well, that's to do with, sorry, that's to do with tablets. I can imagine they Yes, on modular housing, uh, I think the problem would be getting insurance or mortgages for them. It's difficult to get an engineer that would sign off on them. Engineer will almost always want a house that's capable of lasting 65 years without major rebuilding. So it's not a like-for-like solution and we haven't really thought out the standards and how how temporary they would be. Five years, 15, 35, I think that's the problem. There's a lot in what you say. Engineers can be the bane of your life when you're trying to do a bit of work. In the house, or any house, engineers can cost you nights sleep. But, and not to mention a lot of money. But, yeah, that point, would an engineer sign off on these modular homes? I guess if an engineer sat down with you and agreed the way they would be installed, or maybe looked at the spec of them before they were ordered. But that's a valid point. Engineers might not just sign off on them. 0818 96 96 96. Are you ready? Cork's 96FM loves Irish music. As part of Irish Music Month, this March on independent radio across Ireland, we want you to take part in our local hero talent search. If you're in a band or solo artist, you could be featured live on Cork's 96FM. It's your chance to win an overall €10,000 prize fund. Get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across Ireland. For full details, see 96FM.ie. Irish Music Month, this March. Proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund on Cork's 96FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM. Fidelma was on about women's sizes. I was just mentioning there a while ago about how the women's sizes and how many times we've talked about it on the show where a 12 in pennies and a 12 in a shop across the road are two completely different pairs of jeans, let alone anything else. 
PJ, I agree with you regarding women's clothes sizes, says Fidelma. I'm usually a size 12, but I'm getting married in Italy in 2024. I bought an Italian wedding dress. I nearly lost my life when I saw the size comparisons. Fidelma is a 12, but for her wedding in Italy in 2024, a size 20? 20? That's a beach hut for them. Well, at least it would be, you see, if... Ah, you see, that's why it's so frustrating, I guess, as a woman trying to buy in clothes. I wouldn't know, like, but you know what I mean. 0818 96 96 96. Come back to that. Come back to modular housing. Phil sent in a voice message on modular housing. I'll get to that in a little while. But on Friday afternoon, the word came through from the Cork Person of the Year Awards that it was a joint win. They had won, I think, in the same month together and then they were awarded the overall title of Cork Person of the Year. I speak of two fine people, both of whom have been on the show with me before and uh, we have a great time for. And I'm delighted to welcome them both this morning from Fountainstown, Angela Cantwell from Angela's Shop and Tony Linehan from Shandon Street. Shandon Suites. Good morning to you both, guys. Good morning, Good morning PJ. And congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Angela, I, I'll start I'll start with you. Were you blown away? Oh, I was. It was very emotional. Yeah. Very, very emotional. But of course, at the time, we forgot to thank all the organisers and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, well, you surround it. I mean, the, the list of monthly nominees, did you ever think that they'd pick you guys out of it? No. No, because, I mean, the nominees were so wonderful and they've done such wonderful things, you know. Yeah. Didn't have a clue. Didn't, and I told my kids going up in the car, I said, now I said, we're all winners, I said, because we won the month, you know, person of the month. Yeah. And so my son was reading out all the other nominees and all the wonderful things they did. So I said, now we'll have a lovely lunch now and we'll meet everybody and we'll enjoy ourselves. Yeah. But once you know, now we're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine when it was called out. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I've been at it a few times, Tony, and it's it's yes. probably the most closely guarded secret. Like, you get in there it's, to cover it and no one will breathe a word to you until, until no. the announcement is made. No, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. It was a shock, as Angela said. It was a complete shock to us as well. Some of the nominees were just, some of the stuff they did is just absolutely fantastic. And you never see it like that, PJ. You just kind of, like, same as Angela, I just have a nine-to-five job, and that's what I do every day. So to yeah. be picked for this was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> what, I, what I noticed in the citations that were being read out, or being, you're both seen as being pure pure Cork and what you do is a, a pure part of Cork and it is to both of you I mean look Chandon Sweets Tony remind us again of the history yeah. how long is it there? Yeah PJ it's this is we're going into our 95th year this year it was my grandfather then my father took it over in 79 I think 1980 and then I took it over four years ago so I'd be third generation so nearly back to the very, very early 1900s is the first one. So 95 years is a long, long time to be in business. Clove Rock and Bullseyes and now selling them online. 
everywhere, all mm-hmm. over the country, even across the water, they're going PJ. They're ending up in all corners of the world, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> and Angela, I'd say if I wandered into the shop there down in Fountain Town, you've a few of Tony's sweets in, in jars behind you there. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> and he'd be, he'd be getting did. a big order from me now. It's had all the cars coming down. And they're so delighted <laughs> that we won it, you know. And they're all come in. They're Tony Sweet. <laughs> Tony. Thanks, thanks, Angela. How, how long? How long are you there, Angela? You're there since I remember Fountainstone, but when did yes, you start? I'm, I'm there since eight, since um, eighty nine. Right. Right. Nineteen eighty nine. Listen to this, PJ. Of course, I said up on the stage then that I was there since eighteen eighty nine. Well, I'm sure on a long on a long day, it feels like that when you're going home. Oh, you have the nice the tears flowed by the tears flowed. But you know something, PJ. I know now that you're very busy, you know, and we have a short time on the radio. But can I thank a few people at all? Far away. I want you a second. Far away, girl. I'd like um, to thank Anne Doherty, Chief Executive of Cork City Council, and Tim Lucy, Chief of, he's the Executive of Cork County Council. Uh-huh. They voted for us. And the organi- and I'm sure now Tony will be in on this as well. And, he wa- yes. and we want to thank Manus O'Callaghan, Anne-Marie O'Sullivan, Barry Woods, and Pat Lemasny. Le- Le- yeah. Okay, okay. And Tony, we go to Sam Park Hotel. The, the food was out of this world. It was just like the Ospreys. They had the big, huge, roundy tables. There were 250 <laughs> people at the Ospreys. And Tony will tell you, when we when our names were called out, we were all emotional. My own kids were crying. And we walked up. And when we were walking through the tables with the TV cameras in front of us, everybody at the tables were stopping us, congratulating us. And the clapping, I'll never forget it. <laughs> Tony, a great moment, was this? Uh, it was, PJ. And as, as Angela said there, it was just, yeah, it was just a lot less uh, of a bigger deal than I thought. When I got it back in May, like Angela said there, I kind of didn't think of it. I accepted yeah. it and I said, fantastic. But yeah. when I saw it on the day, I really kind of wasn't expecting for such a big affair to have the cameras in your face, microphones. Oh it was definitely God. a surreal kind of a Friday compared to what I normally do. Yeah, <laughs> unreal. Yeah. unreal. Just like the Oscars now. Like, well, it was, Angela. I was, delighted. I was delighted for you both. It was a great connection. I, 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 there's not a car. I, a car is it's important to have a bag of bullseyes or clove rock in the car as it is to yes. have petrol for me. Right? I know. <laughs> but you know something as well? Sorry. Go on. Can, can I, can, and I'm sure Tony is in on this as well. Yes. Can we thank all the people that have come into our shop since Saturday and Sunday? The real yeah. genuine people, Cork people, neighbours from all over Cork. Yeah. I yes. want to thank I, them yeah. very much for their genuine, genuine. They're so proud, Absolutely. you know. Aren't yes. they, Tony? Absolutely, Angela. Absolutely. What they say to us, unbelievable. You'd be, you'd be nearly crying again in front of yes. them. And, you know, they're crazy <laughs> so much. <laughs> no, it's, 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 yes. it's live. Yes. I was yes. delighted for you both. And Angela, can I personally, and, you know, I'm up and down all the years in the summertime, wintertime, anytime I'm down, I want to personally, I've never had an opportunity to do it publicly before, I want to thank you personally for your incredible kindness to a certain young man over the years. Oh, and I, I, was, I look, that was my first thing when I came up to you. I, I wanted them to know how was your son, the DJ. He's so proud to know that he is a DJ. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and I was going to ask you how it is. Tell him. He's, he's great. Me. We'll be down for the ice cream. We'll be down all, for the ice cream. All right. All, all right. He's a, lovely, he's a lovely boy. A lovely well, well, boy. He, he, loves, he loves coming down to Angela's. And Tony, thank you very much yes. for being with us today. Okay. And congratulations <laughs> to you both. Our joint Cork Persons of the Year for 2023. Angela from Angela's Shop in Fountainstown and Tony Linehan from uh, Shandon Suites, Linehan Suites. Uh, you know what? Worthy, worthy, worthy winners. Pure Cork, the two of them. Congratulations, that's 0818 96 96 96. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Matter Foundation is asking people across Cork to challenge themselves by walking, jogging, or running 100 miles this February. Get outdoors, get active, and help raise vital funds to enhance cardiac care in the Matter Public Hospital. Get your 100 miles in a month t shirt and miles chart to track your progress. Visit matterfoundation.ie to learn more and register today. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Corks 96fm. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96fm. Right, back to cost of living and Michael was on to me after 10 we were responding to this report that came out from the Credit Union Consumer Sentiment Index, it's a very respected report as we said before and the general finding of its December and January reports is that the worst is over or that most people it surveyed probably the more accurate way to describe it the people it surveyed feel that the worst is over in terms of the cost of living. Now, Michael said, please tell that to my €905 gas bill. And we had a long conversation about that. Pat, do you think the worst is over? Good morning. I, I don't know about that, Peter, but I mean, to some to ourselves, like, to, 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 you know, to monitor our energy and, you know, to see how much uh, fuel, etc., that we're using. I just went small numbers just into you talking to Michael and uh, I had to look at my own bill. I had to look at the bill this time last year. And the difference between both is about fifty-two euro for gas. Right. Yeah, and I, I looked at you know I looked and then do, do a board estimate. So I looked and they checked the reading. And to be fair to board gas, they were quite close, like with um, with the actual readings, about a hundred, you know, a hundred between them, like uh, in, in usage, which is you know that that's that's small enough, like. But the bill itself, I think I'm done about uh, five hundred units um, less. I use less, less oil this year, yeah. But it was a higher but bill, though, was it? The bill was about 52 year old of a difference. Higher, higher. right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But in, in the same token, and we have a store as well in the house, like, so we have, uh, like, we have cold, um, like, we light the fire every, every every day, like, you have to light the fire. But, I mean, the, the cost of that, like, is after doubling. Gas fire. But, the, uh, no, the, the cost of uh, smokeless fire, yeah, that's after doubling. I mean, the bag of corn is, is up to 19, is it, no, 30, 38 euro. It used to be 19 euro, so yeah. that's actually doubled. But, like, the, the point I was making there is that, look, you have to monitor what you're doing. It's the same with your electricity. You just can't walk away and leave all the lights on the house on. You can't turn on the heating and heat the whole house. Mm. You have to, you know, like, I, I, I have my um, timer now set for the morning. It's set to come on in the morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, the hot water set. 
and like going to bed in the evening, they're the upstairs to set like for half past ten to come on at half past ten just to heat the upstairs before we go to bed. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like it's it's just, just monitor what you're what you're using. No, PJ, you're the, you're the same, but you're a bit younger than me. Like, but you go back to when you were a young fella, right? What heating did you have inside your house? What heating did I have? Yeah. Um, when, you, when you were a child, no, like, we when central, you... We, I, we had central heating in the house growing up. Okay, I, I didn't. Like, I'm 68 years of age, and I, like, we had one fire in the house. Now, there was fires in the bedrooms, but they were never lit, because you couldn't afford to light them. Yeah. But there was one fire lighting in the house, and I think winter or summer, you went to bed... The rooms are cold. Got into bed and put the clothes over you and just heated just seven levels it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, one bit of advice that I got a couple of years ago, and I thought, do you know where's the problem with that? You don't need to turn on the heating if you have an extra jumper in the house. Throw on an extra jumper, and then you don't yeah. need to turn the heating on. Well, that's that's well, that's part of it. But as you get older, I suppose, PJ, no matter how many jumpers you plan, you yeah, still feel the You're cold. right there. You're right there. No, 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 you're right, Pat. You're right. I, I, we would never, only on the coldest of nights, only on the very coldest of nights, would we leave the heating on during the night or have it come on during the night. Like, I'd set it to come on. I'd get up. i get up at stupid o'clock. Like i get up at quarter to six. And I would have the... In the, on the very coldest of nights, I would have the heating come on at maybe ten past quarter past five. Just I am you're so. up early in the morning to leave. Yeah. I'd have it coming on in the morning at seven because yeah. I'm getting up at seven anyway. Like so, yeah, yeah. You know, see, but, you have, but yeah, you do. You're, but, you're right. You do have to watch what you're doing. I mean, we used to we used to set it to come on during the morning. So myself and my son get home in the early afternoon. You know, the house it might it might be cold. It might be warm. We don't turn the heating on unless until we need it. That's a big oh, yeah. change, and, and, and that's it. And and we are exactly the same. Yeah, you know, you you, still you, got, you I still got a six hundred euro gas bill, Pat. Well, I didn't get a six hundred euro gas bill. I, my gas bill was uh, two hundred and sixty-one euro. Crikey! Yeah, and I mean, I have a four-bedroom house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, so, and that's that was up on last year by what fifty quid. Fifty well, it's yeah. up by fifty quid, but my usage was down by uh, something like five hundred. That's that was, that, that was good. That's good. That's good. You're you're saying the standing charges are the problem, and, oh, the, yeah. and the carbon that, tax. I look. I looked at the standing charge there, right? The chair standing charge this year was twenty six euro. No, and the standing charge this time last year was seventeen. It's only it's nine euro. But why is the standing charge gone up? Yeah, that's right. Why is the standing you know? charge gone up? It doesn't cost any more to put it down the pipe. No. Well, I mean, they're standing charge like it's, uh, that's that's the, that's a freebie for the likes of broadcast, and they know I need the the, the provider. Well, the standing charge is pure profit, pure and uh, utter profit. Yeah, and like the carbon tax truck, <laughs> that's down to Mister Ryan and his and his gang. Like, but uh, like for the summer, there my 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 carbon tax is only something like two euro. Yeah. For the winter months, it's gone up like it's up around fourteen euro. I know now you're saying it's small money, but it's but a percentage. All these things, yeah, all these things uh, they mount up. You stuff like you look at your bill. If you take my standing charge, you take my carbon tax, and you take the vest, right? Uh, you're talking about twenty, twenty-one euro vest, twenty-four euro standing charge. That's mm. forty-five, and then you have another fourteen on top of that. So that's only sixty euro. All of my bill alone makes like, between vest, standing charge, and. Um, and carbon and carbon tax. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true, Pat. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. And well done on keeping your consumption down uh, so much. Yeah. yeah. My daughter has a two bedroom flat next to the Live ninety five radio studio in Limerick, 
I know exactly what you're talking about, Kevin. Her last electric bill was 734 for two months, and that was with the 200 euro off. No gas, everything in the apartment, including the heating, is electric. Like, that's, that's insane. Well, we have the electric bill now due this month, and I know that the 200 yo-yos will take a nice chunk off it. It did the last time. Certainly my last electric bill was really um, over half it was taken off with the credit. We were delighted with that. I don't expect to get away with half it again. But to be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, 0818969696 on modular housing and how it might or might not work. And we were listening to Luke on Friday and Paul today who's been looking into it. And someone commented before the news that, look, an engineer might not sign off on modular housing. It might not be as easy as all of that. Which is probably true. You know, engineers are the bane of your life if you're trying to develop anything. But Phil's got some thoughts as well. Hi, just on the subject there of modular housing and insurance difficulties and engineering reports and whatever, I think possibly in other countries, I presume the legislation is different. So maybe we'd have to look at legislation around what... Um, the requirements are, I suppose, for, you know, a modular house, you know, a quick fix type house rather than your standard build. That would have a lot more, I suppose, um, strict requirements. And maybe in the current climate when we're needing housing so badly, you know, things could be made a little bit more slack, but still effective and still stringent to the point where you're getting a quality product for the money you're spending. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Phil. Yep. Standards, Irish standards, Irish building standards are so high and rightly so. Rightly so. But is there a case to be made for laying off those standards and do the modular home thing and just get just get people a start? Because as both Paul and Luke were saying, and they're both very honest and say, look, I'm in a hotel room, I have a bed, I have a table and chair, I have a telly, I have a bath, I have a shower, I have a toilet. I have pretty much everything that I need. But it's not a home. And it's grand to stay in a hotel room for a night or a few nights. But it's not a home. And there there must be a much better way of of doing this. A couple of other topics of conversation here. I must have a read of this. I have to confess I didn't see the piece, caller. I'm surprised there isn't more on the news today about the excellent article in the Mail on Sunday about how people were not offered help for their parents that needed nursing home care. I think there should be resignations over this. I'll certainly go and have a read. Uh, PJ, I'm 42. It's about having babies. I have a geriatric mom's horrible term, but it is what it is. I'm 42. I have a 16-year-old and almost 12-year-old and 2-year-old. I have to say, the older I got, the more I'm enjoying parenthood. I was so nervous having my son at 40, but he's the best little gift. And I'm loving being the mom of a toddler, a tweenie, and a teenager. I'm blessed, says Nessie. Yeah, teenagers. You've got a 16-year-old. You're just about heading into landmine territory there, Desi. Just about heading into um, to landmine territory, or landmine territory. I remember saying to a friend of mine who'd raised 
was it? God, seven kids. And I mentioned one of my children. I said, they are a pain in, they were about 17, a pain in the arse, I said. Yep. That's their job. I see in the, is it the echo? It is. The echo today. No decision made on extending the ban on evictions, despite that record homelessness figure that came out on Friday. The, the high was 11,600 people, including 3,442 children. Single adults, the biggest category. People like Luke and people like Paul, they're the biggest category. Um, new rec- record figures now have been out for six months in a row. And the warning is that when the moratorium on evictions runs out, which I think it runs out the end of February, the end of March, I'm not too sure which... Um, that there'll be a just a, a run of evictions and there's a lot of pressure coming in now on the Minister, Dara O'Brien to extend or at least state his intention to extend the, the, the moratorium and say no no more evictions while while this current cost of living crisis increases and I've heard two or three different interviews with him now over the last few days and the faffing and the umming and the ang and the humming and the hawing out of Darrow O'Brien. Whenever he's asked about, are you going to extend the eviction ban? Do you want to extend the eviction ban? Is it your intention to look at extend? No matter what way you twist the question, he kind of hums and haws his way out of it as if, as if he didn't want to answer it or as if he doesn't know what he's allowed to say. Just my observations, that's all. 0818969696. Tom says the politicians are well aware of how people are paying more because, let's face it, they get gas bills too. The difference between them and us is they're getting a huge pay increase. You can be sure they check their outgoings as well. They come up with every gimmick not to give the frontline workers, <coughs> who everyone agrees are vital to us, not to give them a decent pay rise. Actually, there's a thing we haven't mentioned in a couple of weeks. Have frontline health workers all gotten that um, pandemic bonus yet. I know it came into the year and we hadn't all had it. They hadn't all had their bonus. I wonder have they at this stage. And then the front of the paper this morning, an awful lot of them missed out on their pensions. This is awful. The system, the computer system in the HSE is outdated. So what's new there? That's how the cyber criminals got in. But it's an outdated HSE computer system. And there was a change in pensions. I don't fully understand the details of it. I haven't spent hours reading into it. But there was a change in the pension for healthcare workers. A little increase. And as well entitled to it. But because of the computer system, thousands of them never got it. And thousands of them are nearly a year waiting on the increase in their pension. Because the computer system is like something out of the Stone Age. So between, they're not getting their little pension increase, and to the best of my knowledge, thousands of them are still without their pandemic bonus. Sure, is it any any wonder that they're angry? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Fox ninety six. If you like cruise liners, you'll have plenty to look at 
this year down in Cove there's I don't know how many there's a hundred or something of them coming and they're a great day every day they come in is a great day for Cove and some of them are enormous like they're huge and they're fantastic to watch really I'd often love to know what it's like to get on them and travel on them because I've never had the I've never had the chance but the greatest cruise liner of all uh, is or was rather the QE2 and it visited Cove back in uh, 2008 on its last journey because the QE2 was retired after that last cruise and Cove because of the connection with Cunard and all that was such a really important um, spot or part of that journey and back in 2008 a young schoolgirl called Victoria Piper ran out of school that day to take in Crosshaven to take a photograph across the harbour of the QE2 she has a fascination with the QE2 ever since she was a small child and recently Victoria you got a chance to go on board now there's a story there in itself because like I said the ship was retired it's it's now a hotel but Victoria this this fascination that you have or had still have I guess with the QE2 where where's it come from good morning Hi, good morning, PJ. So, um, look, I suppose, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I suppose as a child, I, I had, had done kind of cruises with my family and things like that. And I suppose the cruise ships that are the ones that you see coming in and out of Cove today. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the the older cruise ships, such as the, the QE2 and, and the Queen Mary, they like, I suppose I was just always fascinated with them because they just have a, a completely different style on board. They've, mm. you know, cruising was very different on board them. Um, you know, some people were using them as transport simply to get from, you know, England to America, just, you know, to, to do whatever they had to do. But yeah, they were just, I mean, it was just the older style of them I was just very drawn to. I just thought they were they were fascinating ships, yeah. you know. Yeah, part of the fascination, I think, because I remember the day in 2008 myself down there covering it for the newsroom at 96FM. The fascination was you couldn't get on board and you're wondering what's it like on there absolutely yeah no absolutely like I mean obviously the day she came in I, I could see her from school but when the night she left actually I was lucky enough to get out on a on a boat and kind of go out with her as far as, as Roach's Point and we could see the pilot you know the pilot getting getting off her um, obviously as he brought her out through the harbour and when the door opened you kind of got a little peek now you didn't see it like you were looking at I suppose the passageway that he came down but like I was looking up at the windows kind of thinking oh they must be up there having their dinner oh I wonder what they're having for dinner I wonder what they're wearing I wonder what music is playing absolutely yeah I, I definitely wondered what what it was like you know your teacher let you out of class special <laughs> why did you annoy your way into being given permission or what <laughs> well yeah so look I suppose we were around a bunch of transition years I'm sure leaving one out of the classroom was probably a happy relief so she she came in kind of at a strange time she came in in the afternoon which isn't kind of typical of the cruise ships that come in and out of Cove today they're normally in like first thing in the morning and I happened to be in a classroom that was kind of looking over the harbour a little bit and I could, I could hear the horns blowing and I knew she was due to come in and kind of just popped my head up and, and I could see the red funnel and I said, right, that, that's her, that's her. And um, I, had a, I had a camera in my bag, I had a digital camera and I just put up my hand and I said, sir, do you mind if I go out and just take a picture? The QE2 was coming in and he just said, yeah, of course, go for it. So yeah, took, took the picture. It was a very quick kind of a rushed picture, but yeah. I, I was happy to get it from the, from the schoolyard, you know. I see. And then this lovely souvenir that you have from the Port of Cork, how did you come to get that? 
Um, so I was in school watching her come in and an aunt of mine, Marie, she was actually over there, probably quite close to yourself over there. Um, and, you know, they, they happened to be giving these out and I suppose she knew my my fascination with it. She knew this was something that I would treasure. This was something that I, I would keep. And um, yeah, she she called over that night and she said, look, I was down in Cove today and they were giving out one of these. So here you are. You, oh, you can have it. It would be a nice souvenir. Yeah, so it was actually um, a handkerchief um, that was done by the Port Cork, has the, the Port Cork symbol on it, and just the, the QE2 and, and the date she came in on, on her final voyage. So it was just a, yeah, it was just a lovely, lovely. little, little commemorative handkerchief, you know, and I'm sure there's probably people listening that would say, you know, if, if my aunt handed me a handkerchief, I'd, I'd probably throw it back at her. But um, no, I, I was quite glad to, to get it. It was such a lovely, lovely memento to have from the day, you know. Now, the QE2 was retired from service after that visit. And then, I didn't know this, it became a hotel in Dubai. It did. Now, she's not the first Q&I ship to be used as a hotel. Um, The Queen Mary is actually in Long Beach in California. I was lucky enough to to kind of see her as well. But um, she she opened as a, a hotel um, now, she didn't open until 2018 at the hotel. So she has been in Dubai since 2008, but she didn't open until 2018. Obviously, the, the economic downturn and stuff kind of halted halted, um, halted that, you know. But yeah, she she's now used as a, as a floating hotel in, in Dubai. So how did you come to get on board? Um, well, we, we had planned a family holiday to Dubai. I suppose we had we'd planned it back in the summer. And I'll be honest with you, I never even thought about the fact that we might be able to see her because you know Dubai is so big you don't know where you're going to be staying in relation to things that you want to see it isn't like Cork where you know most things are just down the road or up the road from you this is Dubai this is huge and it was actually New Year's Eve we discovered that actually we we were going on a cruise actually at the time and we had kind of seen that the QE2 is docked about a five minute drive from where the cruise ship was that we were getting on and we kind of thought Okay, we might actually be able to get on board. It's quite close by to us. We might actually be able to see her before we get on the cruise ship that we're actually sailing on. With it being a hotel, like, is can you just wander in and and have a drink in the bar, like you can say with the Imperial or the Clayton or any one of those? No. What we did was we booked a tour. Um, oh. I'm not sure about yeah. We we booked a tour because I suppose you want to see all the. You know, you, you could probably go on and just wander aimlessly, but you don't know what you're looking at. You don't know what you're going to see. Maybe there's kind of hidden things that maybe, yeah. you know, you, you need a tour guide to show you. So what we did was we actually booked a lovely afternoon tea on board and then we did a, a fabulous heritage tour, actually. And the, and the tour guide, like, had all the facts and figures and was showing us things that I wasn't even aware of on board, you know? So when you eventually got to, to walk around it, was it as you had imagined or was it more? Oh, it was, I mean, it's exactly as what you would imagine it to be in the sense that, you know, they, they've put a lot of money into her and they, they've, you know, done what they've needed to do, but they've kind of kept it true to her own style. It's exactly like you walk on board and it's almost like you're walking on board in, in 1969. You know, it's exactly, exactly as, as intended. You know, I mean, the, the tour guide was showing us like parts of the ship that actually hadn't, hadn't moved at all. So like some of the carpets, they were the original carpets from her sailing days. Right. You know, there was, there was things that he was able to show us that they haven't been removed. They're, they're still there. You know, they were able to show us examples of cabins and, and things like that. And, you know, what it looked like and what it felt like to sail on board. And it's, it's everything that you would, you would expect it to kind of to be. And it's just so lovely. It's like walking back in time, really. Yeah, you, you were really taken by it. Would you go back and stay in it as a hotel? Is it the original cabins like that that, that they use as rooms? 
I would imagine some of the cabins maybe have been modernized. I, you know, they, they've kind of done up the cabins a little bit more modern, but like, you know, you can, you can actually stay on board her. Yeah, it's something that I would have loved to do. I, I couldn't make it work on this trip, but um, it's definitely something that I, I think now I, I definitely have to go back and do. It's not maybe I will, I, I will definitely have to go back and do it. It's a, it's a plan like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Come a long way from that, that young transition year student in 2008. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember people in school going like it's a ship like what are you what are you so excited about it's a ship and I was like you don't understand like we're never going to see her again this is her final voyage you know it was it was almost sad in a way but um yeah I, I genuinely didn't expect to ever see her again you know I, I kind of felt you know when we had gone out that night on the boat and we had gone out as far as Roach's Point with her and we kind of turned around I was kind of looking behind me going yeah we're, we're never going to see her again but it was just so lovely when we got there and we could see her and I was- this was a teenage dream fulfilled Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were, you know, as close as we could safely kind of get to her. Like, it was even closer than what you can imagine. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was just unreal to, to see her because she's not the typical style of the ships that you see kind of coming in and, and out of cove, like, during the summer. You know, she's she's definitely different. Yeah. You know, you just know you're looking at something completely different. They're all big, modern blocks of steel and glass. But this, there was something, I remembered from that day, that there was something classic about the Huey too. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly as you say. Yeah, it's something, something very different, something very stylish, something very classic about her. Like, I mean, you, you kind of think of the people who would have sailed on her. I mean, you know, you've the likes of Nelson Mandela, Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, Princess Diana herself would have stepped on board. I mean, David Bowie sailed on her regularly. Um, you know, but and they have they have these things. Then, like when we got on board, there was a, a lift for cars which I, I didn't even know. So like if you were a first class passenger, like you could take your car with you. Like you couldn't do that on a, a modern day cruise ship. They like up to 60 cars could, could be on board. So you get to your destination and like your, your Rolls Royce is already with you, you know? How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. When the first class passengers got to where they needed to be, you know, they didn't have to go find a taxi. They didn't have to go try find a bus to get to where they needed to go. Their Bentley was with them or their Rolls Royce was with them. And, you know, they, she could hold 60 cars. Yeah, that's, yeah, it was, I it was never, mad. I never knew that, Victoria. That's so cool. That That's the coolest part of this conversation. That's brilliant. I, I know, yeah. And it was actually when we, when we went on to the tour, it was the first thing they brought us to see. And I was going, God, I never knew that she had, she had you know, she had space for 60 cars. Like, yeah. It's mad. Victoria, great talking to you. Wonderful experience you've had. No problem. Thanks a million, PJ. Thank you. Cheers. 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 Yeah. I must have actually, it has a website, the QE2 Hotel. You can get on and book and pay now. Like, and you, I must have a look at that. I wonder how much it costs to stay on the QE2. Like a nice room now, not, not sort of a steerage type cabin, a nice room. Wonder how much it would cost. Probably cost a couple of hundred quid. At least, I'd say. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of the... Yeah, they have certainly done up the rooms. They have certainly done up the rooms. Um, there's a thing called a captain's cabin, which I'm looking at here in front of me. And the bed now, the bed is big enough to play the World Snooker Championship on. It is an enormous bed. Uh, plasma screen, work desk, so far, like it's 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 a decent, decent, decent room. And this one I'm looking at here has a balcony, so you can slide the door out onto the deck of the ship. And there are seats out there. You now you're parked up at a dock in Dubai, so you kind of get to look at Dubai, which can't be bad in its own way. 
And I'm thinking, that's got to be, like, that's got to be thousands. That's got to be thousands a night. Let's have a look. Actually, I have the website up in front of me here. So let's try and look. This, this, it has Queen Elizabeth II. Um, you put in your dates. So let's put in, let's go for, let's say next Saturday night, which is the 4th of February. Okay. And we'll say for two people for one night, if I was able to go there. And I want that captain's room with a balcony. Ah, here, lads. Captain's room with a balcony next Saturday night on the QE2. Now, all the fact that it probably cost you a grand to fly to Dubai, I know that. But the captain's cabin, captain's room, enormous hotel room, with a balcony. You can look this up on the website. With a balcony and a big double bed and a plasma screen and a desk to work at and a sofa to sit on and a shower and a toilet and everything else you want. Next Saturday night, 4th of February, including breakfast, for two people, €191. Euro. What? I was expecting it to be thousands. €191. Euro. I know, I know you'd break yourself flying to Dubai, but still, be fun. I'd love to try that now. I'd love to stay on the QE2 as a new hotel. 0818 96 96 96. It might be someone's Valentine's Day present, don't you know? Speaking of which, there's a restaurant, the bookshelf there at the Elysian. They're putting on a special dining experience for St. Valentine's Day. They've compiled a whole menu. They've compiled an entire menu of aphrodisiacs. Stuff food that makes you feel sort of in the humour if you know what I mean an entire menu of aphrodisiacs and it's been put together by chef Rebecca Harrington hi Rebecca good morning how are you very well that's a gorgeous menu thank you very much yeah me and the chefs um created it uh, around ancient aphrodisiacs and as it's Valentine's Day um, we just said we'd bring everything in together and it'll be sure to tantalise your taste buds on the night. Okay. Now, what on that menu is an aphrodisiac? There's a, a lot of the elements on the menu are um, aphrodisiacs in some way, shape or form. Um, figs, pomegranate, cheese, chocolate. Um, they're all very strong. Aphrodisiacs, garlic as well, would you believe? Garlic? Um, I know it's it's um it's a confusing one because I would have thought garlic was the ultimate passion killer. Come on, absolutely, yeah, I know. So um, you would think it, but no, it's an aphrod- it's an aphrodisiac. But we're only um, incorporating a little bit of flavour on the dish, so you can decide to kind of omit it on the on, a, on the starter or the first course. Right, it'll be a chili and garlic honey, and um, honey is also an aphrodisiac. And um, years ago, they would have um, drank honey mead, and that's how uh, honeymoon came about. Was it? it? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it became about because uh, it, it was supposedly you'd have a nice sweet marriage if you drank this after you got married. Um, so we're incorporating that with the chili and garlic, but only a tiny little bit, so it won't overpower you right, overpower right. the dish or overpower your fry. So that's <laughs> that's the starter, and then bring me into the the, the salmon. What's an yeah. aphrodisiac in there? 
uh, so the salmon seafood uh, is uh, is very well known as uh, as aphrodisiac, and salmon as well is the um, the go to for right. um, aphrodisiac. Hmm. I thought it was seafood. oysters. Were well, o- oysters as well, but oysters are. It's also about the appearance. The appearance, you know, like muscles and yeah. big things as well. It's Let's all face appearance. it, oysters ain't the most attractive. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people love them. Um, but, no, we've decided to go with salmon. And, you know, we're going to cure it uh, with beetroot. So it will give also the colour. Oh, yeah. And, you know, be be really, that'll be really pink, won't it? It, it will, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So everything together uh, with the colours, flavours and, you know, the, the story behind it. Right. It should go. It should uh, be a very great night. And bringing in the lamb, you have more garlic hidden in this one, but pomegranate and mint. Now I know that mint goes with lamb, but pomegranate I would have thought it was way too sweet. Pomegranate? No, it w- it will not overpower it. Um, but it's also the colour as well. Pomegranates are the seeds of fertility, and um, you you mentioned yeah. colour again. Like you got yes. purples and you got pinks. This is starting to look a bit like a Turkish boudoir dinner here. <laughs> I should hope not. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I didn't. I meant that in a nice way. <laughs> I know. Yes, yes. I will know. We do want. Uh, we want to make it look very appealing as well as taste good. So yeah. don't worry. All these dishes have been tried they're, and tested. They're great so colors. No, they, I, I meant that they are. They are great colors. They are great colors. Yes. The cheese board. Look, we all know about cheese. Exactly. Yes, and you know the scent of cheese, like you know, cheese can be very smelly and whatnot. But um, the scent that you get off cheese can be very arousing, and you know, people, you know, people love cheese, and it's nice. It's a it's a sharing place, so nice to be able to sit down and share, you know, a dish with your partner. Yeah, and red velvet. Now, this is a new one on me. Obviously, I've eaten red velvet cake, but fondant. Yes, so it's gonna it'll be it'll be baked to order. So, you know, it'll be very, it'll, it'll come out too hot and you'll be losing with chocolate. So it is, it's going to be a, a, a lovely dessert to round off the menu. Everybody loves chocolate. It's a great aphrodisiac and, you know, it releases chemicals in your brain that I think it's the same chemicals you release that when you're apparently falling in love. So, well, the whole lot, the fondant, the fondant and the cheese and the chocolate is also screaming red wine at me. You have a, a wine list. Yes, yes, we will be pairing wines on the night and um, with every dish. So you, so yes, there'll be something there for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no red wine and cheese. They're just born to be together. So there's an aphrodisiac there. Yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly. What a love affair. (laughs) Match made in heaven. (laughs) Rebecca, it's booking fast. It is indeed. And it's on the 11th of February. It's not on Valentine's Day. So it's on the weekend. So yes, if you're looking to book, just go onto our website, uh, bookshelfcoffee.com and make a reservation quick before everybody else gets there. Thanks very much, Rebecca. It's a fabulous menu. No problem. I hope to see you there. Cheers, Rebecca. Thanks. Um, <coughs> sorry, before I go, two things. On Cove and the cruises and the cruise lines and Victoria's trip off to the QE2 and all that. I can't believe the price of that that bedroom. Real swanky bedroom on the QE2. Anyway, John says the deep water key in Cove walkway has the gates open again. I think the people of Cork owe a debt of gratitude to, to Dermot O'Kyla for the work he's done, drawing attention to the potential loss of right of way and his protesting to ensure it reopened. Once you lose these things, they never come back. I always thought, John, that the only problem down there was that they closed 
the walkway on the day of a cruise lining visit and then opened it again as soon as the liner was gone. Mary says, I'm fascinated by the QE2. I was one of the first to get a souvenir hanky. I met one of the committee and he gave it to me and I treasure it ever since. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice story that, that Rebecca has. She jumped, ran out, or Victoria rather, ran out of school in transition year in Crosshaven to get a photo across the harbour at the QE2. She's fascinated by it and then only at the turn of the year she goes to visit it as a hotel in Dubai. I can't believe it. Like, this massive room, big posh room with a balcony and a king size bed. 191 euro for two people for the night. Next Saturday, if you want to go. Oh, 0818969696 is still open. That's it, though. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. It all starts again tomorrow, just after nine. <laughs> Just wrapped up. Live free in 23. Now, we're sending you to see. We're sending you to see. A homegrown superstar. Live. Grab your passport and get ready to play. 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 Because we'll reveal all very soon. On Cork's 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.